Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. What's up, everybody? It's Athea Sam here, and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Oh, man. Um, if you listen to yesterday's episode, I got on my soapbox a little bit. Um, just got a little bit ranty about the subject of ethical relativism and moral standards. And here's the deal. I, I actually had some notes. I don't always have notes for my episodes, so sometimes I'm just... I hit record, and, um, and you know, away we go. And obviously, I always, I always know what I'm going to talk about, but sometimes it's just in my head. Anyway, I had notes for yesterday's episode, and I didn't even get around to them. So I kind of debated, like, okay, you know, maybe I kind of beat that subject enough. I don't know if I really need to talk about what I missed. Um, but I, I finished hitting record, and I thought, no, I, I think I do. Um, because what I had written down is actually quite useful for you guys and that's really what this show is all about. This is about helping you guys uh, live lifestyles of freedom and integrity. And um, I'm not going to rob you of anything that is going to help you towards that. So today's episode is a bit of a follow-up. If you didn't catch yesterday's episode, I, I really recommend that you, uh, that you check it out. Uh, you'll find it really, really useful and hopefully not, uh, not too soapboxy. But what I wanted to talk about today is two of the gauges that I use for decision-making, for lifestyle, and really I would just say even like for the construct of my morality. Um, In yesterday's episode, again, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but we talked about how, you know, ethical relativism is, it's sort of the the mantra of the day, and everybody kind of believes that you just do you. And, you know, whatever that means for you, that's totally fine. And, of course, you know, there's a line. Somewhere along the way, there's a line. But those lines are moving goalposts. And they're going to shift depending on the climate of the day. Sorry, I have a bit of background noise here. hope you don't mind. Um, that car should be out of here in a minute. The, the problem, I guess, with ethical relativism is exactly what I just mentioned. It's that it changes. And nobody wants to live their life based on principles that are relative. That we are wired to actually anchor our our thinking and our doctrines and our decisions and certainly our lifestyles on, on principles and precepts that are timeless. Things that we can rely on through thick and thin, regardless of the environment, regardless of who's involved, regardless of the social atmosphere, we know that these things are tried, tested, and true. That is actually the only way that you have healthy individuals who form a healthy society that actually makes notable change and impact in the world. It's the only way it happens. You have to be founded on timeless principles, not transient ethical relativism. That was yesterday's episode. But what I wanted to talk about and didn't get a chance to do is two gauges that I have personally used in my own life and I encourage you to do so in yours so that you can ensure you don't fall into the pitfalls of ethical relativism. Now, this might sound like some, I don't know, 
broader philosophical discussion. You might be thinking like, Cynthia, what's the deal? Why are you on your high horse about this? The, the main issue that I'm taking with this concept of ethical relativism is that it is diluting people's standards around sexuality and sexual integrity. And as a result, people are making mistakes in this area of their life. They are violating their morality in the name of ethical relativism because, you know, you, you just do you, whatever feels good for you, whatever works for you. Hey, if that's, that's your take on it, then, that, you know, that's cool. I respect that and, you know, that's no problem. Look, I'm all for mutual respect. I'm probably one of the most respectful, kindest, understanding, non-judgmental people you will meet. But, but I am not going to back down from my own convictions either. And that is actually the mark of somebody who is respectful and accepting. Because if you're respectful and accepting, but you don't stand up for anything yourself, then actually you're just a people pleaser. So it's important that in our, in our culture that has become very... Um, you know, non-judgmental, we become very emotionally sensitive, uh, very aware that it's important we respect people's decisions and spaces. I am all for that. And I'm not saying we should become extremely confrontational and whatever else in the matter. I'm just saying that in our, in our um, approach to respecting people and to really honoring them and accepting them for who they are, we must make sure that we do not dilute the moral standards of the Bible. And I have found two particular gauges that have really helped me do this. And, and these two gauges come in sequence. In other words, it's not just two that are side by side and you, you, know, you check out both of them as, as they come. Um, you do gauge number one first and then you do gauge number two. And, and you do not reverse the order. You, you don't just use one of these gauges or the other as you see fit. We use both of them. And the, the best decisions and the best behaviors will uh, align with both gauges. It will not just be one or the other, they'll align with both. Some behaviors you may only be able to justify within one gauge. And if you can only do that within the scope of the first gauge and you're kind of confused or you don't have clarity on how it impacts the second gauge, then you have to consult some external advice. And I'll show you exactly what I mean when I get into this a little bit more. Our first gauge is this, and, and both gauges come in the form of a question. Gauge number one, is it godly? Is it godly? So let's, let's pick some you know, kind of arbitrary subject, like smoking weed, okay? So people might be asking you like, oh, you know, is smoking weed really a sin in the Bible? Like, I know I shouldn't be doing hard drugs, I know I shouldn't be doing um, or like drinking excessively. You know, those things the Bible talks about. But, you know, what exactly is weed? Like, where does it fall into? Uh, you know, what if weed is the thing that calms my anxiety? And usually the justification is it's not doing any harm. Like, what really is the harm? If you go home to your house, let's say you're in a lot of pain. Um, now, I'm not talking about physical pain because I think medicinal, med medicinal marijuana is a little bit of a different category. But let's say we're talking more recreationally or it's like, look, I'm stressed. This is how I cope. It's the only thing that takes the edge off. Well, what we want to ask, filter number one, is it godly? Now, when we look at the Bible, we are not looking at what behaviors can we get away with. Does the Bible say I can get away with X, Y, or Z? What we're looking for is what is the encouragement of the Bible? What are the standards the Bible sets? 
Now, if you look at something like um, drunkenness being labeled as a sin, which it does in uh, Colossians 3, that's the one I know off the top of my head, but you know, you can read throughout the Bible, it's, it's there. What we want to really understand is why. See, when you're trying to get away with behavior, all people look for is the statements of scripture that either support it or do not. They, they don't try to understand the essence of the text. Now, the reason that drunkenness is a problem is because you behave outside of your God-given nature. You say things you wouldn't say. You do things you wouldn't do. You, you violate your own essence, and you're made in the image of a perfect God. So if anything that takes you out of your right mind, anything that is going to violate the essence of who you are and who you were made to be, is going to violate God's design for you. Does that make sense? This is why drunkenness is a problem because the, the goal is a godly person lives their life in such a way that they make those decisions and say those decisions apart from alcohol. And I guess what I'm referring to there is, you know, some people are like, well, I just, I would have never been able to do that if I wouldn't have had the inhibitions taken off. Hey, no problem. I get it. Like, trust me, there are things that inhibit me Right now, in this state, as I record this, that if I was to, to have a couple beers more than I should, it would take the edge off and I wouldn't have those inhibitions. And maybe I would finally be able to muster up the courage to do whatever it is that might be. But God's design is that you and I become people of courage who find the strength within ourselves and by the power of the Holy Spirit to triumph those inhibitions to leap those obstacles mentally and emotionally that stop us from doing the things we want to do or feel led to do or called to do. Alcohol under no circumstances is an appropriate way to do that. It is not godly and that's why the Bible forbids alcoholism and drunkenness. So smoking weed is a problem because of all the, reasons, all the same reasons that alcohol is a problem. Alcohol uh, alcohol gets you out of your sober mind. Now, um, you know, the, the science, I think, says that you can have about a drink per hour. So essentially, once you step outside of whatever it is that you can handle and still stay sober, that's when it becomes a problem. And weed is the same thing because nobody stays in their right mind when they are high. Now, I'm not trying to bash marijuana. I'm just, I think it's important to use examples that are both outside of the realm of sexuality and within, because I want you guys to have a really comprehensive understanding. I don't want you to just be, you know, super uptight about sexuality and have really strong moral fibers there, but not really be able to defend it in other contexts. Now, let's transition this into uh, the realm of sexuality. So weed is kind of our example outside. Masturbation is a great example within. What, what people try to do with masturbation is it's like, well, it's not hurting anybody else. And if that's something I can just do on my own, um, you know, then what's the real issue? Uh, in fact, one person told me that, you know, for them, uh, that's between them and God. Oh man, classic do you culture. That's between me and God. And what, what God says, you know, what God says to me in my quiet time, that, that is between me and him. Well, um, yeah, it is actually. That is absolutely true. But when you say that in light of behavior that is not really justifiable biblically, then I have reason to question how well you're hearing from God. Because God cannot contradict himself. So 
if, if the behavior that you're engaging in is in some way a slate or a slant against the text of Scripture, then something has to be corrected here, and it's not going to be Scripture. So our first filter, is it godly? When you look at something like masturbation, well, there's nothing godly about masturbating. Like, let's really think about it. It's solo intimacy when God has designed for us to experience intimacy with a lifelong covenant partner. So that doesn't make any sense. Secondly, I don't know anybody who, who masturbates with any kind of regularity without engaging fantasy or some sort of um, external element to enhance the experience and ensure their arousal. So there's nothing godly about that. Because see, the, the, those, those factors are the same reason why watching porn would be considered sinful or why having sex outside of marriage would be considered sinful. It, it violates the standards that God has set for us to engage in sexuality. Now, there, there are some, um, some nuances to this. There are some, some concepts that they're like mutual masturbation between a husband and a wife. I think that's very, very different because really I would categorize that as sexual intimacy in the context of a marriage. But as soon as you step outside of that, I believe that most of the sexual misbehaviors people try to justify in one way or another get shut down by this first gauge. Is it godly? So we are not asking what can we get away with? What's in the gray area so we can have a little fun? What we're actually looking for is what are the standards God has set for us and how do we best accomplish them? Plain and simple. So that is step number one. Is it godly? So for me in my own journey, um, when I look at masturbation, I decided no. Masturbation is not godly. So it doesn't even make it to the next gauge. But let's say you had something that, that was godly and you wanted to kind of make sure. Or, I don't know, maybe you didn't have a full understanding of, of the text. Um, I don't know, maybe it's, it's something uh, different. You know, let's say it's something like fitness. Is fitness godly? And you're like, oh, well, I mean, you know, of course, that would be a, a good thing to do and God would be in favor of it. But is it godly? Like, is that what defines a godly person? You know, if you're kind of not sure about it, then what we go to is our next gauge. And our next gauge, is it healthy? Now, if it is godly and if it's healthy, that gets a full stamp of approval for decision-making, for lifestyle, and everything else. Is it godly and is it healthy? So with masturbation, okay, let's say somehow you justified that masturbating is godly. The question then is, is it healthy? I don't know anybody who does that on a regular basis that has a healthy sex life, that has healthy relationships, a healthy social life, and there's somebody you'd want to spend your time with. Is it healthy? No. It's not godly either, but if for whatever reason you got past that first gauge, it's not healthy. So, so these two gauges have really helped me set up my life. They've helped me make decisions sexually. They've helped me make decisions uh, financially. They've helped me make decisions in my physical health. The, the fitness example is a great one where I would say it is, it is spiritual. There's a godly component to looking after your physical health. But it's not outright godly and it's not necessarily a clear instruction of scripture. But is it healthy? Absolutely. And anything that is healthy is inherently godly on one condition. Okay, now listen to this very, very carefully. It must be healthy long-term. 
So is it going to bring lasting health to you? And if it is, then you have the green light. Then it's going to be um, good for you morally, and it's likely going to be good for um, you know, the strength of your quality of life, your self-esteem, and your relationships. So gauge number one, is it godly? Gauge number two, is it healthy? And if it ticks both of these boxes, then you're good to go. And if it doesn't tick both of these, I would be very, very cautious. Um, I'm trying to think if I can give another example here. Let, let's talk about sex uh, within a marriage. So uh, one of the things that I hear from guys, you know, they, they, they complain, married guys will complain about the frequency of sex or the intensity or the level of engagement in sex, as in um, positions. You know, it's like, oh, she only wants to do it this way, um, but I want to, you know, try other things. And usually it's, they want to try other things they've seen on porn. So when you're, you know, navigating those kinds of waters, for starters, you're asking, is it godly? And if you look through the Old Testament scripture especially, there's actually some pretty clear directions about what sex should and should not look like. And those are worth paying attention to. Yes, it's Old Testament, it's Old Covenant. Those precepts still stand the test of time. Some things uh, were not obliterated by the cross. Like there's things like animal sacrifice that you know we don't really do anymore. We don't need to because Jesus is the Lamb of God and he shed his blood once, uh, pardon me, shed his blood once and for all. But there's other things like um, offerings, giving God offerings. Now, we don't offer animals anymore, but we still give offerings, don't we, um, of our, our time and our money and other resources. So there's certain things that, you know, they, they were initiated in the Old Testament. They're not talked about extensively in the New Testament, but they still hold value and they are still very much biblical principles we are to abide by. So when we're asking, is it godly? And we're looking at our examples so when you look at, um, you know, the, the engagement of, of having sex in the context of a marriage, you're asking, is it godly? And maybe it's like, well, th maybe there's just a difference of opinion. You know, the one partner thinks, no, that's inappropriate or anything outside of, you know, X, Y, Z, I'm not comfortable with. The other thing then you ask is, is it healthy? Is it godly and is it healthy? Now, uh, in this context, uh, remember, sex is not about physical health nearly as much as it is about relational health. Is it healthy for the relationship? So if you want to engage in something your spouse isn't comfortable with, is it going to be healthy for your marriage to engage in that, that act or that position, whatever it might be? Probably not. So you might be able to say it's godly, but is it healthy? I don't think so. So that's where these two filters can become really useful. And I, I wanted to present these today because I think... Um, in the, the context of sort of ethical relativism and trying to chisel out a moral standard and really trying to, trying to figure out like, where am I to stand on these things and how do I make decisions and how do I decide what's good for me? Well, it, it's not just about you and your opinions and what feels right. Instead, we have two filters to guide us. Is it godly, number one, and number two, is it healthy? So I wanna encourage you, if maybe you have some behaviors in your life and you've been wondering, you know, are, are these okay? Are these things that I should or shouldn't have in my life? And how do I evaluate them? Start here. Is it godly and is it healthy? Now, um, two, two things to sort of close this out. Remember, when we ask the second question, is it healthy? What we're looking at is, is it healthy long term? 
Okay, so let's use that example of sex again in different positions. See, you might be able to get your two minutes of fun or your five minutes of fun um, at, at the expense of a, a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit of, of sacrifice. Or maybe, you know, maybe your, your significant other is like, okay, fine, like, you know, once is whatever. And you're like, okay, perfect, awesome. You know, I finally get what I want. But is that going to be good for you long term? Is it going to be okay to create a pattern of making decisions that way? Of like, okay, well, if it's good for me and, and she's willing to, to kind of let me get, a, get away with it, is, is, is that how you want to make decisions in your marriage? Is that going to be healthy for your marriage long term? The other thing is if you have any sort of confusion, you're like, I'm not sure if this is godly or I'm not sure if this is healthy. I don't know exactly how to define it. That's when you seek external counsel. Find people that are ahead of you in these areas, people um, that you trust, and people that you know are going to give you good advice and good wisdom. So that's everything for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, you're always asking these two gauges, is it godly? Is it healthy? And look, if you are struggling with pornography or some sexual misbehaviors, you're saying, Sathya, this is great, but I actually need a little bit more help than this. I need a program. I need somebody to walk me along this journey to making a complete recovery because everything I've tried isn't working. Look, I've been there and all I want you to do is go to my website. The link's in the show notes. It's sathiasam.com. I want you to book a call with me and I want to talk about it. And let's figure out what is the best way for you to get free. Um, and we have lots of different programs here, uh, programs that meet different people of different means, uh, different ages, different stages of life. And I'm pretty confident that um, if you're in that place and you book a call with us, we can find a solution that's going to be, be really good for you. And if you're not there, uh, maybe you just want a little bit of extra help um, or some more resources, you can subscribe to this podcast. We're the only weekday podcast in the addiction recovery space. And secondly, you can go to ultimaterecoveryguide.com to get my free ebook with my best practices for getting free and staying free of pornography long term. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have an amazing day. I'm cheering you on. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.